Welcome back to Basketball 201. Ben and I took last week off, uh, but we are back this week. And Ben, you know, after the awful, awful performance by Indiana at Minnesota, where it kind of looked like the Hoosiers had checked out, you know, Indiana basically at that point just fell below even the most basic line of expectation, which is just to play hard for 40 minutes. And to their credit, over the last two games, we have seen a return of really hard playing and really good defense for the most part, which has been nice to see. Uh, obviously, the Hoosiers now play tonight against Wisconsin. I think it's fair to say that now that the baseline expectation of effort has been, you know, they've gotten back to that point. Now it's time to start winning some games again. So let's talk this week. Let's look back on the Purdue game. Let's look back on the Iowa game and you know talk about some things that worked, talk about some things that didn't work uh, as we look forward to hopefully Indiana being able to get some wins over these final four games of the season. You're muted. Or sorry, you talked about that Minnesota game. You know, it felt a lot to me like the Nebraska game where like that it was just this low point in the season where they came out with no energy, no momentum. And Archie has, has talked about, you know, he said that they felt like the Nebraska game was kind of the moment where they realized that something was wrong. And that was kind of the, the, the moment that shook them and kind of sent them on this, this downward spiral that they've been in. Um, and then after that Nebraska game, we saw a return with some energy. We saw them play harder, eventually culminating in a win against Michigan state. And then that Minnesota game was kind of them falling back into those kind of previous habits. But that Iowa game and really the Purdue game too felt a lot like the first Iowa game to me because I really didn't think Indiana played all that poorly on either end of the floor. It was just that Iowa made more winning plays when they needed to. And I think that the biggest thing that stood out to me from that Iowa game was just how many second chance points Iowa got. And and I don't know the exact number offhand, but it just seemed like every offensive rebound they were able to capitalize every loose ball. They, it just kind of either they, out hustled Indiana or the ball just kind of bounced Iowa's way. Like even the, the Bohannon three with two minutes left in overtime, Juwan Morgan, like almost had a steal on that play. He got through the passing lane and the ball just kind of kicked out to Bohannon and he hit a tough shot. So it was just those kinds of plays that just went against Indiana. It seemed like all game long. Um, but like, we'll look at, I think their offense looked a lot better in that game. I thought their defense was okay. You know, there were moments where they weren't as dialed in as they needed to be. Um, but all in all in all, you know, it wasn't a, a terrible performance by any means. I think the Purdue game obviously was, was the same way where they just looked focused. They looked dialed in. And I remember part of the thing I wrote about after the Purdue game was like, this team is playing hard again. You know, that was kind of my big takeaway. And I got some people saying like, you know, really, that's the thing that, that you're taking away is that they played hard. Like you shouldn't have to coach effort. And like, I agree, but also given what we've seen from this team at, at certain moments, it is kind of a story when they do play hard. And it is, you know, we've seen that the last couple of days, just kind of being locked in, being dialed in, kind of executing what they want to do a little bit more consistently. Um, and I think that's that's really made all the difference for this team. So, um, yeah, because, that, you know, because as we talked about on the postgame show several times for a while there, Indiana was playing poorly and shooting poorly. And that right. is just deadly combination. I mean, you do that, you're not going to win games in many conferences, especially not a tough Big Ten conference. Finally, now these last two games, it's not, you know, they're still shooting poorly. There's no question about it. That's why they keep losing these games, but they're not playing as poorly now. And in right. some senses, especially on defense and even at certain times on offense, you know, they're actually starting to play better. They're more resembling the team that we saw earlier in the season. They're just not making the plays at the end and executing at the end of games and making the big shots they were earlier in the season. Yeah. Uh, would you rather start with Purdue or Iowa? What do you think? 
I will delay watching. Oh, we're not watching Jordan Bohannon make shots, so that's good. Not watching the Bohannon uh, shots. No, let, let's go. Let's start Purdue. Let's go in chronological order. Okay. So let me pull up the clip real quick. Um, we're going to start out here. We've got first half, I guess, five minutes in. Um, Purdue bringing the ball up. For those who can't see, no Joel Easter right across half court. I thought it was really interesting. You know, Purdue, they were so effective against Indiana the first time the two teams played. And I was a little surprised at how drastically Purdue changed their approach in this game. Like both on defense and offense, they were doubling the post a lot more often. They weren't keying in as heavily on Romeo Langford offensively. And I thought Purdue actually was maybe the most drastic example we've seen all season, that first game on just not letting Romeo Langford do anything. Like leaving Zach McRoberts, Justin Smith, even the guys like Al Durham and Rob Finnessy, leaving those guys open, completely abandoning them to be able to take away Romeo. They didn't do that quite as much on defense. Offensively, Carson Edwards worked a lot off the ball. And the first game he was kind of, he was bringing the ball up most possessions. He was working a lot more in pick and roll. And he still did a good bit of that in this game, but they used him off the ball a lot more frequently. And I, I thought Indiana actually did a better job despite the, the higher volume of plays Edwards used off the ball. I thought they actually did a better job staying locked in on him. And so this, this possession here, it's going to result in a no-gel Eastern charge. Um, but basically, it's kind of, they established early on, Indiana did, that, that they were connected, they were focused, they were energized on the defensive end. And I, this, I think, is a good example of that. One thing to watch here, just right as the play starts, look how many screens Indiana's going to fight through on this play. You've got Rob Finnessy coming through there. And then Ryan Klein. So Ryan Klein's going to catch it on the left side. Justin Smith is coming off a back screen here. He gets tight, gets through the screen, denies the pass, and then immediately Rob Finnessy is going to have to come back off a screen, but he stays on Carson Edwards' hip, and then Al Durham on the other side is guarding Ryan Klein, who after he passes, comes off another screen. And so Al Durham has to get through that, stays on his hip, and then Purdue transitions into a pick-and-roll. Jawan Morgan with a nice show there as Romeo Langford goes underneath and then gets back in front and no gel Eastern just kind of extends the arm. And so if Purdue that's, you know, kind of shooting themselves in the foot there, but I was really impressed with just the connectedness that Indiana showed on that play, because again, I mean, you can count one now two, three, and then this is going to be a fourth off ball screen that Indiana has to fight through. And they just stayed attached. They stayed connected the entire possession. And there were a few plays where they lost track of shooters in this game, but not nearly as many as in the first time they played Purdue. And I thought that was a really key development for their defense and a really a big reason why they were able to stay in the game was just they didn't have as many defensive lapses. And that's something I think we've seen when this team is dialed in, they they make those plays off the ball, or I guess deny those plays off the ball just by being locked in defensively, whether they're guarding the ball or not. Yeah, we were so ready to play defense. I mean, you know, you can even see just in the basic things like Romeo Langford in a stance about 10 feet outside the three-point line, ready to pick up yeah. Nojo Leaster and as soon as he crosses half court. And like you said, so often when our defense isn't functioning well, it's because guys either aren't aware that a screen is coming because there's no communication. And when they do get screened, they just kind of let themselves get taken out, you know, taken out of the play. They don't fight through yeah. it. And Indiana didn't do that. And, you know, I know some people were disappointed that there weren't drastic enough changes, you know, and it, it was probably just a bad term for Archie to use because everybody can, you know, put whatever they want on it and they expected all this stuff. But when Archie was asked about what the drastic changes were, he talked about communication, which I don't know, to a lot of people that wasn't exactly what they wanted. 
But when you saw the way Indiana played defense in the Purdue game, the communication was so much better than what we've seen. You know, emergency switches, calling out screens, you know, everything that they needed to do to play connected defense, they did. And so, you know, that might not have been satisfying to some people, but I thought it was a huge reason why we put forth our best defensive effort of the season that game. I agree. And I think the bigs, Jawan Morgan and Jerron Davis, were really key there too, because, you know, you, you watch the game, especially in the second half, there were a lot of plays where, you know, I, so much of defense is just in, in what doesn't happen. That's why it's so hard to kind of evaluate defense sometimes because, you know, great defense sometimes doesn't stand out because, you know, it's just the things that don't happen. They prevent so many things from happening that everything just kind of looks normal. It looks like nothing's happening, but that's kind of the point. And so I think there were a few plays there in the second half where Jawan Morgan and Deron Davis were just kind of in the right spots defensively and that you know, that prevented Purdue from kind of doing what they wanted to. They were just able to, you know, flash or, or jolt in one direction and kind of shut off a drive and and give some help and then kind of just be in the right places when they needed to be there. Um, and that that really stood out to me in that game. And, you know, Deron, he's, he's not the quickest guy. He's not going to switch on the perimeter. He's not great in kind of those hedging schemes. But I do think he's been really good defensively this season as a rim protector in terms of just being in the right places and just being smart with his positioning and, and decision-making and things like that. And just having an attitude of toughness. Like, he's a tough, right. strong guy, and it's nice to have that out there. Yeah, another thing I liked that Indiana did was they gave Carson Edwards multiple looks in, in this game, and, and that was, you know, they did a little bit in the first game, but it was mostly Zach McRoberts who drew that assignment, just kind of chasing him around screens, trying to put some length on him and bother him that way. But Al Durham, Rob Finnessy, McRoberts, everyone kind of got their crack, uh, even Devontae Green, got their crack at Carson Edwards in this game. And on this play, this is one where Rob Finnessy is still on him still early in the game, a couple minutes after that clip we just showed. Um, but this, this is a, a play where again, you're just making Carson Edwards shots difficult. And that's all you can really do because he's such a great player. He's going to get his looks up and he's going to make a lot of tough shots. So all you can really hope to do is just contest his shots at the rim, make him see multiple bodies, close out, make sure he can't penetrate all the way unencumbered to the rim and Indiana really did a nice job of that. And there's, there's a reason that he was four of 24. I mean, he was kind of, you know, having an off night, but I do think that Indiana's defense played a really big role uh, in him shooting so poorly, as well as the officiating. Probably. I didn't think that he got the greatest whistle in this game, um, but Too bad. we're going to, yeah, <laughs> that, neither did Indiana. <laughs> I thought both teams kind of uh, got a rough go of it from the officials in this one. Uh, but we're going to see here, Ryan Klein, Carson Edwards, this little two-man game off the ball. This is something they did a lot over the course of the game, really effective when you put two shooters just kind of in this. It's not really a, it doesn't even look like a scripted play. It's just kind of a chaos, kind of circle the wagons kind of thing until one guy breaks off and Klein's just going to kind of turn back around, stick his hip into Rob Finnessy. But Finnessy, again, just stays locked on Carson Edwards' hip, comes off one screen, a second, and then a third but doesn't give him space to catch and curl that screen or go all the way to the basket. And so what happens instead is Edwards catches on the perimeter. Fantasy kind of shades him toward the baseline. And we talked about icing the pick and roll earlier in the year. This isn't a pick and roll, but it's kind of that same principle where Juwan Morgan and Rob Fantasy are going to kind of force Carson Edwards into this area of the floor, this kind of no man's land mid range area where Morgan's going to shut off the baseline, not allow him to turn the corner and Fantasy's going to make sure he can't get into the middle. And so the result is when Edwards tries to drive, he sees the second defender and he ends up taking a really tough shot that's well contested by Rob Finnessy. And Indiana was really locked in on the boards all game. Romeo Langford grabs it and he's a great grab and go guy, can just push the ball in, in transition. 
Um, and so again, that's, that's a, a, an example of a shot Carson Edwards can make, but if you're going to live with him doing one thing, you'd rather him take step back mid rangers rather than get to the basket or, you know, come off a screen with an open three or something like that. So that's kind of the least of all evils from a defensive standpoint. Something that has become abundantly clear over the last two games is how good of a defensive player Rob Finnessy is yeah. and how much Indiana missed that while he was out. Because, you know, I agree with you, Carson Edwards, you know, he missed some shots and took some wild shots. But a big part of the reason why he struggled was Indiana's defense. I mean, they didn't give him room to breathe at all. Rob was a big part of that. And I thought Rob's defense on Jordan Bohannon in the Iowa game was just fantastic until the very end. And yeah. Rob was not in the game the final three minutes when I think Bohannon hit two or three of his threes. And I'm not sure he gets all of those shots if Rob is out there because he's just, he anticipates well, especially for a freshman, and he's quick enough to stay with guys. Yep. And he's right there on the catch. He's just, you know, he's a good defensive player just generally for a freshman, you know, playing perimeter defense against the level of players he's played, especially the last two games. It should really give Indiana fans some positive feelings about the future, having that guy out there anchoring this pack line defense that Archie wants to run because he really makes it go. It's a, we're a different team defensively when he's out there doing what he's done the last two games. Yeah, and he's really strong, too, so he's not going to get yeah. bumped off the spot. You're not going to be able to put your shoulder into him and move him. Uh, when he fights over screens, you know, he's not just going to get thrown to the side by, like, a hip check or anything like that. He's a really well-put-together guy, especially for a freshman, like you said. And I, I thought the Purdue game and the Iowa game, too, um, he, he's starting to kind of become more locked in and, and kind of learn the nuances of guarding away from the ball because he's always been a good on-ball defender, I think, all season. He's just been able to get up into other guys and, you know, get over screens, fight over, stay attached, get on people's hips, things like that. But uh, I, I've always thought that he's kind of, he's not been bad at, at guarding off the ball. Like he can get through screens and he can trail guys and things like that. But I think he's been especially locked in over the last couple of games, just in terms of staying right there with guys. And sometimes it helps when you're guarding guys like Carson Edwards and Jordan Bohannon, where they're always going to be moving. They're always going to be a focal point of their offense. And you kind of, you know that going in. So you're not taken by surprise by any of the off-ball movement, and you have to stay locked in the entire time. And he's he's absolutely done that, and he's looked really good both on and off the ball defending the last couple of games. One other thing I would add about him real quick, just to watch as he plays, is he's not tall, obviously. So theoretically, it's easy to shoot over him, but he's very disciplined with his hands when he's playing on ball, always has his hands up in a shooter's face just to help kind of distract them. And it actually, I think it makes him better in some ways at closing out on three-point shooters than even Justin Smith, who doesn't close out quite as quickly and has his hands down, even though he's taller and more athletic. But that discipline that Finnessy has with some of those fundamentals really helps him. Yep, I agree. And you mentioned Smith, just as kind of a quick aside, it's he's, his drop-off defensively recently has been very strange to me. I don't, I don't totally understand. Like Just the last three or four games, he just hasn't looked the same on defense, maybe it's that he's coming off the bench. Maybe he's not engaged. I don't know what it is, um, but I thought he was playing at, at you know, a, a first or second team all defense kind of level there in the middle of the season. And recently, he just hasn't really been there. You got to be bought I don't in know what it is, on that end. You got to be bought yeah. in. Yeah. This, speaking of being bought in, this is uh, an example of Indiana kind of falling asleep a little bit on defense here. Um, later in the first half, Purdue's going to kind of push up and then get back into one of their sets. And we're going to see, you know, this is kind of where not, not being focused, not buying in and kind of just falling asleep off the ball can really cost you. And also where you see the gravity of a guy like Edwards and Matt Harms, where this two man game really hurt Indiana badly in that first matchup. And so what we're going to see is Jawan Morgan 
kind of cheating over a little bit and trying to stop this action. And as a result, leaving Grady Eifert wide open on the right side. And so Al Durham is rightfully, you know, sticking close to Ryan Klein as he should. Romeo Langford's guarding Nogel Eastern. And so when I'll kind of run it back a little bit, Eifert's going to kind of circle through and filter out to the corner, but Jawan Morgan doesn't follow him far enough. So he's going to stay basically at the midline. And because of that, Indiana's got two guys at the midline. You really only need one. And it's Romeo Langford's responsibility right now because Nogel Eastern, his guy is closer to the midline. It's his responsibility to be in help on this play. And Jawan Morgan should probably be closer up here, you know, kind of in that second free throw spot uh, defensively where he can close out to a shooter if he needs to, but also be able to rotate or more importantly, rotate down to Eastern if Langford has to slide over to the block to shut off this drive. Instead, he just kind of gets stuck. And again, you see two guys on the midline. They're both going to rotate. And you can see Nogel Eastern. He realizes that Eifert's open. Edwards is going to come off the pick and roll. Indiana's forcing him you know, kind of right into the middle. Eastern immediately realizes this guy's wide open. And he's just going to kind of pin Jawan Morgan in. Carson Edwards, sleek little look off here. I don't know if, if I didn't see that on the first, the first time I watched it when I went back. He kind of looks at Ryan Klein there and then flips it over to Eifert in the corner. He's wide open and he bangs a three. Um, those are just the kind of defensive lapses that you're going to have over the course of a game, but you just got to keep them to a minimum. And right there, you know, I think Jawan Morgan's a great defender. I think he's really solid as a, as an anchor on that end of the floor, but you know, we've seen a few times where he'll, he, he's prone to falling asleep at times. Um, and when he's locked in, he looks great, but you know, he, he can kind of space out a little bit off the ball. And we saw that on that play. Yeah. And he also, I don't, I don't know if saying he takes plays defensively off is the right way to say it because he plays so many minutes, but his fundamentals get really lax sometimes. Like he yeah. just kind of stands straight up and then it's almost a little bit, it takes him another second to recover because he's got to get down in a stance and then, you know, and then move out there. And I tell you what that play also was, is that was a sign of why Purdue is elite offensively and yep. why Indiana is not because you could just tell on that play how Every Purdue player was on the same page. And that was really smart recognition by Eastern to notice Eifert behind him to set that screen. Edwards recognized it, you know, even though that's, you know, he's coming off the the pick and roll, but it's, you know, two guys away. That was just great offense from Purdue. And that's the yeah. kind of thing that we don't typically see from Indiana. Like, when was the last time you saw a guy come off a pick and roll like that, have that level of recognition and see a screen to pop a three-point shooter open yeah. like that? Like, it was just... Very, and I don't know how much of that was choreographed, but it was just great recognition by all the guys on the court. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, Purdue has been able to outplay their talent and even their experience level because they just, they're so well schooled and good at what they do and they have that kind of recognition. That's some, in addition to the shot making, because Eifert also had to make the shot, yep. that kind of just recognition and chemistry by all the guys on the court is something we haven't seen very often from Indiana offensively. Yeah, and it's, it's worth noting, too, how difficult it is to guard Purdue. And I think that's something yeah. to keep in mind as we watch. You know, I'm about to show a clip of Indiana kind of doing the opposite of that last play where they're really dialed in, the ones that we've already seen of them being connected on defense. That's really hard to do. And I think that's worth keeping in mind as, as we watch these, you know, just the amount of effort and focus and discipline that it takes to make these rotations and to get these defensive stops. And not only that, but then, you know, box out and hit the glass on every possession, which I thought Indiana did in this game, that's a really difficult thing to do. And so um, I think it's, it's worth giving credit where it's due. And, you know, I, I don't mean to, it, I should also note that I don't mean to sugarcoat all these things because obviously both of these games were losses and there are certainly things that Indiana did not do well 
Um, but I, the way I view it, I, we kind of know what they're not doing well. You know, it, it's kind of, they've lost so many games in a row that we know what the bad is. Yeah. And so I think at this point, it's just worth looking at like, you know, what, what maybe some of the good is because the bad just stands out so much and the good isn't quite as evident. So if people yeah, are, and, and Indiana did not lose the Purdue game because of their defense, <laughs> and right, that's what we're focusing right. on. And if, so if people are, you know, saying, Hey, you know, you're being too rosy or anything like that. I realize that the team is not good and they haven't played well. Um, but I, I do think that, it's maybe a little bit harder to find some of the good plays than it is of the bad plays. Yes. Next clip here, like I said, it's going to be a stark contrast to the last clip we showed. Indiana's, you know, you'll see just when I play it that they're really connected on this on this play. And again, the amount of off-ball screens they have to fight through. Again, it's Purdue just runs so many actions within the same possession and, and one right after the other. They're really, really difficult to track. Uh, and so credit to Indiana here for kind of just staying engaged. We're going to see Justin Smith on the closeout. They get a side-to-side ball reversal. Guy comes through. Al Durham off the screen. And that's what I'm talking about right there with Jawan and Duran. What they did all game was just kind of giving help where they needed. He doesn't come all the way out on a hedge, but he realizes that Devontae Green is beat off this screen. And so he just kind of gives a little bit of a show. And Justin Smith you know, kind of sticking with the pack line principles and just general man-to-man principles is going to slide over and help on the role man, takes away that role, also Jawan Morgan obscuring Ryan Klein's vision. And so Klein, the only pass he really has is this cross-court look, which he makes, but because he's so far away, Smith has plenty of time to recover and close out. And then Jawan Morgan rotates on the drive, forces a tough pass, and Indiana comes up with a turnover. I mean, that's just multiple efforts, one after the other, rotating, helping out your teammates on the defensive end. And again, that's the kind of effort that it takes not only to beat Purdue, but Wisconsin, like, like they'll have to try to do tonight. You know, these teams that play with such great discipline and such, you know, connectedness and, and intelligence on the offensive end, it takes these multiple efforts and these really dialed in possessions to really make the defense work. Yeah. And there are you know two types of great defensive possessions. There's one where the offense just never is able to do what they want to do. They never get the advantage. You never have to rotate. And it's just like, holy crap, we just clamp down on them completely. And then there are the other types of possessions like there where a guy gets beat and you've got to rotate, you've got to help, but everybody helps in the exact way that they need to and you're able to recover and get the stop on that play. Because there were there were a couple different spots there, you know, right away when Devontae Green got beat, when Devontae makes the pass, there's a couple spots there where that possession could go haywire for Indiana. But everybody rotated, was in their spots. You know, Jawan hustled back. So and you've got to be able to do both. If you're going to be a good defense, yeah. a great defense, you've got to be able to play both types of possessions. Final clip from the Purdue game before we go to Iowa from the second half, kind of late in the game. This is something I, I, I want to see Indiana do a little bit more often, actually, which is defend the pick and roll with just two guys. Because we've talked about, you know, maybe the the setbacks that can come from the the rotations that the pack line forces the defense into when you're when you're hedging so far off, you know, f- so far away from the basket and putting two guys on the ball like that. It makes the defense, you know, the, the other three guys on the defense really have to make long rotations and and be connected. And if there's any kind of momentary lapse, you know, you're, you're kind of screwed. And when there are five guys that need to be connected as opposed to two, there's just more, you know, there's a higher chance that something is going to break down. And so we'll see here again, I talked about giving multiple looks to Edwards this time. It's Al Durham getting the assignment rather than Rob Finnessy, but Purdue's going to come down. They kind of run this double screen for Edwards going to his left. Jawan Morgan, again, just kind of 
this isn't necessarily a hard hedge. It's not really a drop. It's something in between, just a little bit of a show to give Al Durham time to get back. And then because Harms isn't a, a three-point threat, Morgan has plenty of time to get back. And then they're just going to kind of run this, you know, Edwards is going to go back and forth and watch Juwan Morgan. He's not going to come all the way out on the ball. He just kind of gets to the level of the screen. And that allows Indiana to guard the pick and roll again with two guys. You know, Al Durham is getting over, fighting over the screen. And eventually they force Edwards into a really tough step back three. Al gets a good contest. Um, Purdue gets the offensive rebound and I think eventually scores. But a, a good first effort from Indiana there. And just watch coming over the screen. Look, Jawan is not going to get all the way out. He's not going to trap. He's not going to hedge. He just kind of is there. And if, if Edwards is going to pull up to shoot, Jawan's able to close out. Same thing going back to the other side of the screen. And then Al just gets over. He gives up a little bit of space, but is able to make it up with the closeout. And, you know, that's a pretty simple play. It's a, a tough shot, but, you know, I've just always been confused why Indiana doesn't go to things like this a little bit more often. Like if you drop the pick and roll, you're able to simplify things for the rest of the defense. And, you know, we've seen it's it clearly it, it's, it can be effective. Uh, and, and so that's maybe something that they'll do more often kind of going up against some of the elite shooters in the big 10. Why do you think they did it differently there? I'm actually not sure. I, I think, you know, we see Juwan do this quite a bit, actually. Sometimes he'll just, it, it, it almost seems like he's got a defensive scheme unto himself where like, even if the rest of the team is hard hedging and running a certain type of scheme, Juwan will just kind of drop the pick and roll. Um, and I don't know if, if that's something that the coaching staff has said, Hey, just do this instead. Or if Juwan's like, I'm just going to do this. Um, I don't totally know what that is, but uh, it, that is something that he does quite often. And again, it, it's effective. I, I think it's just as effective as hedging, frankly. Um, and yeah. Hmm. Okay. That's about all the explanation I've got on that one. Yeah. Well, it, look, it was, uh, and by the way, for people who were paying attention to last week's Banner Monday, that play that you just showed was the play that I described in our Banner Monday banner moment. Cause it was, it was just, it was such a great example of Indiana's defense and how the Hoosiers defended the three point line. And yeah, sometimes a team will have a bad three point shooting night because they just shoot poorly. But the pack line, when it is played correctly, it will give up some three-point attempts, but it's meant for those temps, attempts to be rushed and challenged. So it is meant to give up some attempts, but cause a lower percentage, which I know flies in the face of some of the analytics folks that say that you can't determine a team's percentage. But there's a reason why a lot of the teams that play pack line defenses give up attempts, but end up you know, giving up a low percentage. And I thought Indiana has not done that very well at times this year. In that game, I thought they did it very well. Yeah. Let's transition to the Iowa game where we'll kind of focus on IU's offense rather than its defense. And again, the defense wasn't terrible in this game. There were some breakdowns late, obviously, with Jordan Bohannon, but really that was just a great player making tough shots. Um, offensively, you know, Iowa has thrown the zone at, at Indiana before. They came out in man-to-man, and we'll get to kind of the zone offense later. But one thing that I think is really important for this team, something that Archie Miller's talked about too, is is getting the ball up the court as quickly as they can. And, you know, I use not a team that just wants to run and gun the whole game and take the first shot they can get. Um, but they are a team that I think wants to run selectively. You know, they, they want to push and transition when they have the opportunity, get the ball up the floor. And then if they have to pull it back, they'll be a little bit more methodical in their sets, but they want to look for those easy buckets when they can get them. And I think that's a good approach to take. And I thought in this game, they were really able to get the ball up the floor and get into their offense quickly. Uh, and I thought Rob Finnessy played a really big role in that. He was a, a catalyst, both taking the ball coast to coast and scoring himself, 
And then also just kind of grabbing, pushing, and letting Indiana get into their offense. And a lot of the time, they got good looks out of it. And we'll see one here. The very first play of the game, after Deron Davis makes a nice defensive play, IU gets the ball, goes right back into its offense. You see how quickly they get up the floor. And because this is the first play of the game, a lot of times teams will script that first play. So IU knows exactly what it's doing. They get straight into a pick and roll with Rob Finnessy to Ron Davis. You can see Iowa's defense. They're still getting back. They're not set. Tyler Cook is pointing around. Luca Garza doesn't really know where to go. And Davis gets an easy layup out of it and one. Boom, you're up three to nothing to start the game. A lead at the start of the game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and you can just see like, this play, you don't get this same result if Iowa's defense is set because look, no one's on. He, Rob Finnessy could throw a lob to Jawan Morgan right now if he wanted to. Um, they go into the play, but as a result, Tyler Cook, who's supposed to be in help, kind of goes back to Jawan Morgan because no one's on him. So he kind of panics and rushes back. And Davis just on the roll, Cook doesn't get there in time and he, he converts the layup. So again, that's just a product of pushing getting into your offense early and just being opportunistic in transition, even if you're not going to, you know, try to run every single time, even, even if you're not going to score a million fast break points, there's value in just getting the ball up the floor and, and having as much of the shot clock to work with as possible. And if you get a good look early in the clock, you know, that's even better. And Rob is by far the best player we have at leading those kinds of opportunities. Yeah. And also nimble feet and good hands by Deron Davis there. That's, you know, it's not an yeah. easy play for a guy of that size to make but he did a great job there. Yeah, I was really impressed with his mobility in this game, both on offense and defense. I thought he looked really good. Um, and I think, I guess it's a sign that he's healthy. And, you know, he's, he looks a little slimmer this year, um, at which, you know, at first I was like, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up down low if he's if he's skinnier, but he looks mobile. He looks good to go. Um, Archie actually said it's the best that he's looked, you know, since he's been here on last night's radio show, which I thought was uh, a pretty ringing endorsement. He's got a chance to have a monster senior season. If he can stay healthy, get in even better shape, he can be a huge player for this team next year. We've already seen his impact the last few games. Yep. Next play is is a very similar one. It's just, you know, off of a, an, a defensive rebound, pushing the ball up. You can see Tyler Cook is behind the play. I, I think this is Garza trying to get up the floor sprinting, but, you know, Indiana's got good athletes. They want to run, and right now when they've got Jawan Morgan grabbing the defensive rebound, they're ready to go. And so they're going to push up to, Dev to uh, Devontae Green. And then it's just bang, bang, corner three, Romeo Langford. And again, pretty simple play. It doesn't take a lot of ingenuity to come up with that. But just the idea, they don't get that shot normally in their half-court offense. That's just not a look that they're able to generate. Like we talked about earlier with Carson Edwards coming off that pick and roll and finding Grady Eifert in the corner. Indiana just doesn't really have that kind of offense at this point. I, I don't think they're refined enough i don't i don't think they're you know connected enough or, or, or frankly creative enough at certain points to really generate those looks on a consistent basis so the best way to get them is by getting them in transition and really looking to push and you know you see the late close out there by ryan creener he's just not able to get there in time because indiana gets down the floor gets in their spots and is able to kind of go tic-tac-toe across the floor and get an open three I'm also I'm so glad he shot that because I, I think it sometimes we pass up that shot and we never get a shot that good the rest of the shot clock. Yeah. Um, and I also this may sound weird, but I feel like the Iowa defender there was like the perfect distance away for Romeo, because sometimes if there's just no defender and he's wide open, he almost takes yeah. a little bit too long to gather himself and ends up with kind of a funky release on his shot. But there the guy was going to close out. So he had to just get it and shoot it. And I think he does better in catch and shoot opportunities when it's 
guarded, at least, you know, forces him to get it off quicker than when he has time to fully gather himself. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think that's true. He, he's airballed several open threes this year. Yeah, which is uh, which is very strange. Um, yeah. Anyway, final clip from the Iowa game. We will keep this segment a little bit shorter. Um, oh, and by the way, to your point about shooting the ball early and, and taking those shots, I think I think that's something the coaching staff probably emphasized because it was really clear in this Iowa game. Like they were not being as selective as they normally are offensively. They weren't passing up as many open shots. Rob Finnessy took a, a few threes off the dribble, which you don't really see anyone on this team do other than sometimes Romeo Langford and sometimes Devontae Green. Um, but they, they, I thought they were really seeking to get shots up. They were really hunting shots, which I think is something, like you said, that they should do more often because sometimes the offense just stalls out and they can't get anything better. And so I think it's good to see some of those guards be a little bit more opportunistic, a little bit more aggressive, just in searching out shots and when they've got a decent look, just taking it. Let me ask you a question real quick before we get to the last clip, something I've been thinking about. Do you think Romeo should be using his mid-range game more? Like we saw in the... Uh, the Penn State game, for example, and I think we saw it some in the Maryland game, his, you know, step backs from about 15 feet to where he'll yeah. drive, doesn't have the advantage, maybe the lane is clogged, and he would just step back and hit a little jumper because he's he's a pretty good shooter off the dribble. And I don't yeah. know, I have to go look at the numbers. I know I looked at him before and his mid-range shooting percentage was pretty good. And I know that overall, like the expected points per possession isn't going to yeah. be as good as threes. And clearly it's not as good as when he gets to the lane and is you know close to the rim, but given how teams have been defending him recently, I'm surprised we haven't seen him do that because I feel like that's a shot that he can get, but for whatever reason has been kind of reticent to take it. Do, or do you think it's just because it's a lower efficiency shot, or do you think there are opportunities for him to take it more? You know, I think there are opportunities. I think the reason maybe is just that he wants to get to the basket, um, and you know maybe it is maybe he he did kind of someone talked to him or he just realized in the middle of the season, like, Oh, I, I could be taking threes instead. And so he kind of cut the mid range out. I'm not sure if that happened or not. Um, but I, I think, I think it's mostly that he just wants to get to the rim, wants to get to the basket. And I think Archie Miller wants him to get to the basket as well. So maybe the thinking goes that if you can get off that screen and you don't have the three, just try to get all the way downhill and all the way to the rim. Uh, and we've seen, you know, to your point, we've seen sometimes where that's just not available. And sometimes the only thing that is available is that mid-range shot. So yeah, I do think it's because Devontae will take it, and we don't want him taking right. <laughs> it. And you know, and Al has shown a willingness to take it at times, yeah. but I feel like it's almost disappeared from Romeo's game. And I actually think he's the best at it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer, but I, I do think it's something that that uh, now that I think about it, I think could be maybe a good thing to put back in his game because I remember like a few plays in that Arkansas game. You talked about the Maryland game. He's he's just able to get to his spots in the mid-range and you know, expected shot, you know, expected points per shot, be damned. Like he's going to yeah. hit that shot more often than not. Um, and, and he's really good at that and he's got great touch. And sometimes too, you know, there's value in just having a guy that can create that shot. Even if it's not the most efficient look, just to have someone who can create offense and get a decent look just out of nothing is for an offense that doesn't have many of those guys. That's a really valuable thing. Um, so even if you're not, you know, even if it's not as valuable as a three, not as valuable as a shot at the rim. Most possessions, you're, you're not getting a three or a shot at the rim anyway, or at least yeah. not a good one. And so sometimes there is value in just being able to create an open mid-range shot. Yeah, also, we're shooting like 24% from three-point range in Big Ten play, so those expected sh points per That's shot, true. we're kind of like off the chart in a bad way right now. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Final clip from the Iowa game. 
I thought Evan Fitzner played one of his better games of the year. So I just wanted to give him a little bit of a, of a shout out here. Uh, he was really key in kind of busting this zone. And we saw Deron Davis play this role in a different way. The first time Iowa played Indiana, where when they went to that zone, Deron was just able to get in this high post and find cutters either coming from the short corner or, you know, hit guys on the perimeter for threes. Fitzner, he's not the passer that Duran is. Uh, he's not even the scorer that Duran is, but he's just a different type of player. And that allowed Indiana to do some different types of things against this 2-3. And we'll see here, you, you know, you always want to offset a zone with, you know, whatever, however many guards they have, you want to want, you always want to offset the amount of guards. So this is a 2-3 zone. So you want to have a, a one guard front where you've got one guy at the top, two guys on the wing. That way you're able to kind of be in these soft spots and you're not just matching up right where the guys in the zone are. So, you know, like every single zone offense, basically ever, you've got three guys on the perimeter, one guy working the high post, one guy kind of on the blocks in the short corner, race Thompson, just kind of going from side to side. So Indiana just kind of swings it around, you know, they're looking, looking, and then eventually they're able to pull the zone out of position. That's, that's kind of the point of swinging it around. It's not necessarily for one of these guys on the perimeter to shoot it. Although if they are open, obviously uh, they can take that shot, but they're able to kind of bend the defense out of position a little bit just by moving it side to side. You can see them just kind of working it around and Fitzner just catches wide open at the top of the key. Race Thompson is, you know, down here. So he's occupying this defender, Joe Wieskamp. I guess this is Ryan Creener. Um, maybe it is Wieskamp. I don't, I can't tell, uh, not able to get up to, to this part of the zone. And that's not really his area anyway. And so Fitzner is just wide open. And again, you know, some people may not like mid-range shots. I don't particularly love mid-range shots, but when you've got an open 12-footer, you know, that's a shot that you got to step into and hit. And Fitzner did that a few times in this zone, and that kind of forced Iowa to go back to a man-to-man, which I think plays into Indiana's hands a little bit more. I'm guessing Iowa was happy to let him take that shot until he proved he could make it. And even that one, you know, we haven't gotten many bounces this year, but that one certainly rattled around. He didn't look very confident yeah. when he shot it, but then I think the next one, he looked a lot more confident and swished it. Yeah, um, he hit so, two or three of them and then stepped out and hit a three later. I mean, he he was really important in yeah. just, you know, kind of making Iowa defend parts of the floor that they, you know, they were willing to give up certain parts of the floor and they Indiana put Fitzner in those areas and made Iowa defend him. He really seems like a guy that his first shot sets the tone for how he's going to play yeah. offensively. If he makes it, he gets really confident and like wants the ball. You can see him calling for the ball and he's ready to shoot it. If he misses it, he gets so tentative offensively. So hopefully he gets in there tonight against Wisconsin, can make a shot and give Indiana a boost because he was huge in that first half. I mean, the offense was going nowhere and he got in there, made a couple of shots and it really got Indiana going. Yeah. And Fitzner too is he's a guy who all, he's like always kind of moving and just looking to do things, you know, he'll set just kind of these random screens in various places and against Amanda, man, that can sometimes get in the way, you know, sometimes you're just kind of standing there and, and getting in other people's paths, but against a two, three, if you're just, if you're screening the top of that defense, you know, that can, that can be really productive. And there were a couple of plays where, you know, he set a flare screen once for a guy on the wing and then the defender went out to guard the wing and Fitzner just kind of slipped into the high post again and hit a jump shot. That was his other, um, mid-range jumper in the first half. There's another where he set a screen for Devonte Green, who got into the middle of the zone, and was able to penetrate. So I think playing against a zone kind of allows him to channel that energy that in a more productive way, rather than against a man-to-man. Where again, sometimes he just he's better served to just keep it simple and just stand. Uh, and I don't think he's a player that really wants to stand around. He always wants to be moving. He always wants to be screening, doing something. And so 
I think, you know, I don't know how many more teams will go to a zone against IU, but when they do, I think he's probably a guy that fits into that really well. Any thoughts on tonight's game? You'll be there in attendance, IU Wisconsin. Really excited to see Ethan Happ. I, I mean, he's one of my favorite players to watch in the Big Ten. I think he's the best player in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his game. I, I vividly remember like two years ago at the Big Ten tournament, sitting courtside for Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. I think it was Michigan, Wisconsin. And just watching Ethan Happ just pick apart defenses, just, you know, the intelligence, the, uh, you know, the positioning, the craftiness, the, the quickness with which he makes decisions. All of it is just so impressive to me. So he's a guy uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing in person again. And, um, you know, it's, if you can, if you can shut down kind of their guards and let, and, and, and force them to, you know, take difficult threes, make contested shots, maybe you give yourself a chance, but you know, Wisconsin has the best player in this team. I think they've got the better team. I think they've got more depth. So I'd be surprised if Indiana won, but I don't think it's impossible by any stretch. Hmm. Are there any, any places where you, where you see Indiana having an advantage that they really need to exploit? Besides being generally more athletic, I think. Yeah, the athleticism is one. I think, you know, like most games, I don't know if Wisconsin really has any one guy that can stop Romeo Langford. So maybe you look to to go to that matchup a little bit. But again, Wisconsin is one of those teams that can kind of pack the paint against you because they've got two big guys that can really protect the rim and that have great hands. So they play really good team defense. Obviously, Brad Davison is, um, you know, either one of the better or one of the more annoying defenders in the Big Ten, depending on who you ask. (laughs) Um, I guess both. Yeah. Um, but so, so they, they just play, you know, Archie last night called them just like kind of a typical Wisconsin team. They're going to play hard. They're going to, they're going to play slow. They're going to execute. Uh, they're not going to beat themselves and, um, you know, they've got a potential all American player. So we'll see. I, I do think the athleticism, like I talked about with pushing in transition, trying to look for shots early in the shot clock while the defense isn't set. I think that's a big key. I'm sure Wisconsin is aware of that and they're going to want to get back in transition, but Again, if IU has that athleticism advantage and they can kind of grab and go, push the ball early on, that could be an area where they get some easy points. And at the end of the day, you know, same thing with Purdue, same thing with Iowa. Games against these three teams, you're gonna have to make some threes. You yep. know, you just you're gonna have to make some threes, and you're probably gonna have to beat them at the free throw line, especially if you're Indiana. If you can do those things, you give yourself a chance to win. And if you don't, it's gonna be like what we've seen in the last couple of games, where you have a chance to win. It might be close, but you're not gonna be able to get over the hump. Yep. All right. Well, Ben, appreciate it always. We've got, I don't know, one or two more of these before the before the yeah. season is over. It certainly looks like it's going to be a, a shorter season than maybe we had anticipated <laughs> there uh, back in December. But really appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game tonight. And uh, we'll be looking forward to your post-game email after tonight's game. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Cool. See you, everybody. We'll see you on the post-game show. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Want to save 17 gallons of fuel every thousand miles? You can with the powerful combination of Michelin X1 tires and the Michelin Energy Guard aerodynamic solution on your truck. Michelin X1 tires can reduce rolling resistance up to 30% for more fuel savings. And Michelin Energy Guard helps you control airflow for lower costs per mile. 
Go to business.michelinman.com slash fuel saver for details and start saving today. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.